This episode is sponsored by Truflation. Independent economic and financial data in real time on chain at truflation.com. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, there's, there's another book called Talents Overrated. There's Endure, which we talked about before. And uh, there is the sports gene. And they all argue unequivocally that um, extraordinary results just come from extraordinary, extraordinary consistency. But it's not just showing up and doing some work. It's showing up and doing very deliberate work that leads to improvement in a very particular skill. So you can't just say, I'm going to work out every day. It has to be like there's the law of specificity. You have to be like, okay, I'm going to improve on a very specific goal-oriented thing. And you just have to do it for a very long time. And that's how you achieve extraordinary results, at, at least in, in areas where it's very simple to measure, like sports, which is why I really like sports. It's a very quantitative field. You yep. can measure yourself against everyone uh, and you can normalize across you know different factors. It's, it's a very good avenue. Um, and it's why, by the way, the, there's a hypothesis that the reason why games are so enjoyable is because they simulate a a much smaller, much more confined version of life. The problem yeah. with life is you don't have immediate feedback. Uh, there's a d- structural delay between when you do a decision or make a decision and when you act on it and when there's rewards. And there's a lot of uncertainty there. But when you play a game, it's, it's all of life is confined to this very particular configuration. It, and, and I find sports is great because you can measure your own benchmarks right so even if you measure yourself against others that's a great as well right but measuring your own and your own improvements right so it's like today i was shit why right what are the consequences i mean that's why i have an aura ring right i can track all my metrics and 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 sleep my performance my heart rate and then usually when i work out i have a garmin or i have a apple watch right because that then allows me to then also track the performance during a specific workout right and so you combine the sleep data the heart rate variability etc with the actual performance during a workout and you know uh, you know just during the whole day you should track it in a way i mean you track it hey, wait, why don't you why don't you wear the garment all the time i do because it's just so big and i hate watches and when you're on your computer on your desk it's like oh man it's in my way I'm just well, a, I'm a. You just can lazy, get a smaller version. You don't have to get the. Uh, you don't have to get like yeah. the version that I have. That's the, that's for. But like I'm a I'm a big guy. I'm not gonna have a micro watch here. You know, it's well, like but it's, they're stuff consistent. The problem with putting in like yeah. multiple gadgets is that they're not typically yeah. self consistent. Yeah. What I liked about the Garmin is the battery lasted longer, right? With the Apple Watch, oh, yeah. it doesn't it lasts a day. Oh, I mean it's yeah, like that's yeah. useless to me, right? I mean I don't yeah. need it more than a day. Check out the Garmin, I think it's called the Enduro two. That Ooh, thing lasts a new for one. like months. Yeah, that's for oh, yeah. um, ultra marathons. It's literally okay. the Garmin seven uh, X, but with uh, more battery life. Yeah, so I have the Phoenix five. I mean that was the last one I had. I didn't yeah. go, wow, that looks pretty cool. It literally lasts for, it's designed to last for like more than a month. Enduro 2. Yeah. If well, you I'm put it on battery saver, I think, no, no, no. They're, they're, they're pretty expensive. <laughs> I mean, it, the, it's, it's pretty good hardware. Um, I think if you put it on battery saver mode, which just means you're not broadcasting your, 
heart rate uh, so frequently and you're not using a lot of GPS and stuff, I'm pretty sure it can last for like a few months. And how about the Phoenix? Is that Phoenix 7? That's the one I have. That's the one I have. This is the Phoenix yeah. 7. That lasts for um, anywhere between two to four weeks, depending on your um, how frequent you use it. I just got the new. I just got the new iPhone 14. Um, yeah, I don't know what. I don't know what the. Yeah, I'm just setting it up because I forgot the 12, so I missed the whole eight version. So I figured. All my security settings, all my, you know, two, two FAs, everything's in this phone, right? And so I have a work phone with all my work, two FAs and everything in here. So, and then I figured I need to make sure that these, because if I lose this phone with all of those capabilities on there, it makes everything really challenging to access all your crypto wallets and everything. And so I figured I'd get a new one. Sounds like, um, sounds like A, you need uh, like backup infrastructure. It sounds like B, you do not need, given the story that you were telling me last time, you do not need crypto access from your phone. Let, let, let's let's be very clear about that. You need like a yeah, no, 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 after last time, you don't need that, yeah. Or, you know, one of the most interesting elements I've heard is this thing now called self-preneur. What the, f- is a self-preneur? Uh, what's that? It's a, it's an entrepreneur that just promotes himself. Meaning? Meaning all they care, you know, they just, they're an, I mean, like an influencer, I guess they become nowadays, right? So it's the influencer that is considered an entrepreneur. Cause you're Listen, promoting well, yourself, you're selling yourself, you're marketing yourself, doing all of that. If, if by that you mean, or one means that the person himself is the product as opposed to building a separate product. I don't see why not. I mean, athletes in many ways. That, that's yeah, that's doing. true. That's true. They, they are the product. In, in yeah. many ways, performers, in many ways, they are the product. Now, they typically branch out and do other things. In fact, this is typically very common um, with performers because after some point, you athletes are, you know, after the age of 40 or whatever, it's typically unviable for them to sort of continue. And so they need to find a way to leverage their past in order to create a product that's greater than themselves or that's separate from themselves. The best example of this, I don't know if you know this, the Foreman Grills. You remember them? They're still Foreman, quite popular. Yeah, Foreman yeah. George, Grills, no? Yeah, George Foreman. Ah, yes, gr- George Foreman. Yeah. Yes, 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 of course. Yeah, there's yeah. an entire uh, like vertical in the like patent industry and in like the 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 cooking industry that's named after him. And yeah, he was actually very, very successful. Yeah, he did, right? I mean, he was really successful. I remember that. You've got yeah. um, uh, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, famously, he's he's got yeah. a lots of different enterprises. Conor McGregor obviously has got um, proper whiskey. He's got like a bunch of pubs, and you're building a brand for himself that's sort of unrelated to fighting. But again, using the platform that they built when they were the product in order to bootstrap new products. We keep seeing this. It's a, it's a recurring theme. Even with the the slap fighting that we mentioned in relation to the UFC, in and of itself, I don't think it has a it has a viable way to 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 launch or to market. But using the 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 platform of the UFC to bootstrap the operation and launch the product into market, it's a it's a it's a common pattern we're seeing. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I. I it, 
I guess you, you constantly, ev- yeah, I mean, you, you have to evolve your product, right? Especially if it's you as an individual, you, you constantly need to perform, right? I mean, you need to constantly adapt. If you are an athlete, you need to change your training patterns to remain relevant as you get older, right? I mean, if you look at Phelps and you saw him go through since Athens through to Rio, right? How many Olympics were that? Those were four or five Olympics or something, right? Um, and, and oh, yeah, Athens, Athens Beijing, Beijing, London, uh, Rio, Rio, four Olympics. London, Rio, yeah. And so you look how his, as a kid, first he's a kid, then he gets older, you know, Beijing, he makes eight minutes, he's, and then older, he's been training every single day of his life, but then he realizes, okay, now I've hit a threshold, how do I continue to stay quality, you know, retain, I have to change my food patterns, I have to change my diet patterns, I have to change, you know, anyway, and then ultimately, yeah, to still do that, you know, at the Rio games. Yeah, so you have to constantly evolve your patterns, right? And he's and really skinny versus he's bigger, you know. Um, yeah, it's, and more, I more guess, importantly, he's he retired a couple of times inside yeah. that period. Yeah, so he had to, he had to constantly reinvent essentially how he approached the game. Yeah, you, and then how you, do you approach it, right? How do you approach those patterns, right? How do you? I got to I got to reconfigure in order for me to get motivated to go back in. How do I reconfigure myself? How do I restructure my days? What do those days look like, et cetera, right? Yeah, how you reinvent the yeah. persona. I mean, you, you see it. I, I just read this um, um, this recent book that came out, Alan Patrikoff, um, who founded Greycroft. Yes, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, he talks about this. this is his biography. It just came out recently. Um, he talks about this multiple times. I mean, he's, he's literally reinvented himself three or four times with, with major and like major shifts in strategy and focus. Um, and it, it was always the same thing. It was always, he's bootstrapped an operation. He was the product built yeah. in an empire around him at some point realized that like he enjoyed building uh, as opposed to managing the empire and then wanted to move on and do other things. And I think he's in his mid eighties at this point and he plans on doing this until he's 114. <laughs> oh, there was something I was reading somewhere. I can't remember where I saw it. There, you know. Oh, there was a podcast. Somebody was doing a podcast where they were talking about, you know, as it gets getting younger as you get older, right, and stuff like that, and and sort of the new, the new, you know. So if you can live to 115, I mean, that's pretty impressive, right? Number one, number two is, you know, as we get older. Um, how do we manage this? How do we maintain this uh, and stay this? Um, stay active, stay sharp, stay engaging, stay uh, energetic, right? And, and, and what are the traits that you need to do, right? Changing your food pattern, changing your diet, your sports. I don't know, just all these different sleep, uh, all these different things that play into that splend of, of everything. It's, it's funny you mention this because I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Um, personally, on the on the on the performance level, especially when it comes to sports, there there are essentially two types of two types of um, approaches to like elite performance. One is to begin as young as possible, like gymnast style, from the age of five or whatever, and put in the hours and develop the skills until it, it, until like peak age of performance, mid twenties 
late 20s, early 30s, whatever. And then you sort of bow out of the game. And you can, I'm assuming that's that's sort of when you perform at the at the best level, that's when you win Olympic level competition, things like that. But then there's the other uh, approach, which is like the master's approach, which is how long can I last? Like regardless yeah. of my my uh, my upbringing, some, some sports people don't even start uh, um, uh, uh, practicing for until like age of, mid 20s or even like early 30s marathon running is a good example of this so it's like okay how can i adjust my routine and my practice habits so that i can put off uh, uh, um, the ramifications or can delay the consequences of aging for such a long time beyond everybody else that by age whatever 45 by age 50 i think masters starts at like age 40 at least for athletics uh, so that I could perform at a very high level. And I I was um, reviewing some of the data on some of these athletes, and the masters at like 60 or 55, the guys that win like the uh, world championships at an elite level at age 50 are faster than they were at age like 35, which is extraordinary if you think about it. We're talking about like locally optimized performance at age of 60 and it turns out the while like from a cardiovascular perspective your machinery typically peaks out at a between you know ages like 25 and like 29 with deliberate practice and exercise you can essentially maintain that level for like two more decades Two more decades, right? So just let you can do it longer and you can keep on going. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is, I think that's, that's kind of the interesting part, especially with, there are certain sports that are more amenable uh, to this than others. Endurance sports are a good example of this because there's, with the exception of like severe physiological limitations, you can pretty much push delay, like the onset of aging from performance perspective for a very, very long time. And there are certain sports that it apparently doesn't, I mean, some very one-dimensional sports like like running or lifting or whatever, um, the decline can be sharp. But there are other sports like golf, for example, that yeah. that decline is very, very slow because it's not heavily, heavily reliant on like certain types of like, you know, switching between muscle fibers or, or um, capillary function or, you know, microcapillary growth, this sort of stuff. It's more just based on putting in the hours, which is why there are certain sports. Obviously, peak performance is much later than, I mean, look at Tiger Woods. Yeah, but how old is Tiger Woods now? Let's see. We can check it. I mean, we've Googled. He must be. Tiger Woods must be close to 58. He's 47. 47. Okay, yeah. So, uh, Barring, obviously, the, I mean, he's had some disasters off the course the most recent um, car accident really put a dent in his game but assuming that that didn't happen you could see him being on top of the game for a very long time yeah but wasn't there a problem uh, during his career where he had because he was playing golf at such high performance he was really um straining for example his back and certain muscles in his body that led to um big challenges that he ended up having um in terms of having to change his 
style in order to continue to retain his skill sets and his mobility whilst playing golf. So I, I don't know about that in particular. I I'm not seem to remember well read on him, but yeah. it's not it's not surprising. I mean, um, yeah. Um, who yeah, who is who is very good at this? Um, Elliot Kipchoge, who we mentioned before. Oh, yes, this, yes, this yes. He yeah, did the yeah. same. He actually started off. If you look at his career, he started off as uh, as middle middle distance running. He was doing one like one point five five k's. He only like changed to adapt to marathon training much later in his career. So it's funny that probably the best marathoner that's ever lived didn't even, even at a professional level, didn't even start doing marathon runs for a very long time. Yeah, but I mean, don't they in Africa, they grow up and they run to school and for like 20 miles or more? Uh, uh, it was, less, things than like it was that. less than that. It was less than that. Oh, um, less than that. There's, there's some structural benefits. The... One is obviously this. Well, three the three that are mentioned in the book, uh, endure. Uh, one was obviously what you just said, which is they start early, they're comfortable yeah. doing it early. The other is there's apparently for from a VO2 perspective, from a VO2 max perspective rather, um, living at elevation and training at sea level is like the optimal um, protocol. And in Kenya, obviously, that's I think that's like few thousand feet i think it's similar to colorado or something and they go train at sea level so that was that was another one and the the east african um genetic pool is such that they tend to have slightly longer legs relative to um the upper body length so they, ha- they tend to have slightly a little bit yeah uh, more favorable like pool like statistically it's more likely but on an individual basis obviously it varies the the best middle distance runner in the world right now is some, what, 21-year-old or whatever, um, Norwegian, who doesn't actually fit that that uh, profile, but is still smoking everyone. Uh, Ingebrigtsen. Oh, yeah. Actually, you might know him because they, they, he comes from an entire family of, of athletes. And they've all been like, okay. yeah, middle distance runners or whatever. And him and his brother would routinely win races or like would draft each other. Like oh, yeah. him and his older brother yeah they'd be drafting each other uh in the world championships it's it's amazing who were the the other ones with the brownlee brothers right the british um oh, ah yeah, triathlon was, triathlon yeah, yeah. guys was, right? like, years ago or something yeah they they were pretty they were pretty um yeah i just remember one scene where one of the brothers was just you know, yeah. just everything. It just totally worn out, and his other brother carried him across the finishing line and sacrificed well, he, winning or something like he was, that. Yeah, he was in first place. Yeah, yeah. You can still yeah. find that video on on YouTube. Yeah, it's amazing. On YouTube, right? Yeah, amazing. Camaraderie is a big. It's a, it's it's a big part of sports. Camaraderie. Let yeah. alone, obviously, these guys are, are brothers. But that was the other thing that that really came out, right? I mean, one of the things that I've also felt, which is. You know, you look at some of, you know, and I think I can't remember, I was watching, you know, sports on the one hand, you also have, you know, the army, right, where you really depend on each other uh, when you go to battle or in training, right? You need 
somebody to help you out, help you out. And in a company, you are only as good as your weakest link, right? And I think that same applies to sports. That same applies to um, work, you know, I, uh, or, you know, in work environments um, as well as army, right? And so, how do you either, you know, improve the weakest link? And, and number one, and number two is there's a balance between solely performance and then a blend of trust as well, right? And so, you know, if you look at those elements, because you need to rely on other people, I need to trust that you're going to get that done. If you say you're going to get it done and you are willing and able to communicate how you're going to get it done or you're struggling to get it done and you need help or something, right? You, you need to have a level of trust. And also, I'm going to give you my life and you're going to run with it that you won't run away with it type thing, right? Or you're going to get the keys to the bank or access to the wallets. There's a certain balance between Uber performance and then trust. And so how do you find that balance is, is, is always an art. And I think in sports, you have the same thing. In military, in work, you have always these same things that you need to um, balance out and, and, and um yeah, and, and identify, right? How, what, there's always a trade off in essence, right? Yeah. I can't have the worst performer, but I'm the most trusted person, right? You can't have that because then you're, you're really weak in, in, in terms of the machine moving forward. And likewise, you can't have the best performer who nobody trusts and doesn't work with anybody, but he just really is a good so, soloist, right? A soloist. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how you have to find that balance and what does that balance and weighting look like? No, it's, a, it's an absolutely beautiful point. And the analogy that you made across like the different verticals, I think is exactly right. And funny enough, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. The anatomy of uh, uh, strong team performance. The usual model that people like come to by intuition is, well, I have this top performer and this top performer and that top performer, we're going to put them all together and we're going to have a team of you know, uber performers, right? Which is never yeah. the case. The best example yeah. of this, in, uh, always, like you see it in, in basketball when they, um, when in the US, I mean, all, you know, the basketball the, is the most popular sport. Uh, it, it's very popular in the US much more than anywhere else. And it's, you know, very well paid. So you'd expect when you bring in all the superstars from all the different um, uh, teams, and you put them on an Olympic team or national team, that they absolutely smoke everyone. Not the case. Many occasions in which the U.S. has lost, like, what was the one time they lost to, like, Lithuania or something? And it was, yeah. like, it, it's a very good example of, like, yeah, individual contributors just aggregated. There's no guarantor performance. Um, consistently, Real Madrid, who's easily one of the best teams in all of soccer history, right? Yeah. The golden era where they had... Roberto Carlos, David Beckham, uh, Raul, Luis Figo, uh, Zidane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they yeah. were actually, yeah, they, it wasn't, in terms of performance, it wasn't necessarily the best, right? You could see them, you could see them underperform on many different occasions because the model was we essentially had an infinite you know, uh, 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 amount of capital. We had a big bank account and we could just buy. Michael Owen, I think, was there at some point. Everybody was there, Ronaldo, the phenom was there at some point. Ronaldo's CR7 obviously was there at some point. So it's like everyone and their mother who was a great individual contributor, you bring them on and they're not necessarily performance. The best example of this in modern times, Gareth Bale. 
if you look at Gareth Bale's performance in Tottenham, Hotspurs. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Versus when they brought him to Real Madrid, complete. I think his career essentially ended in, uh, at Real Madrid. Another good example. I think he's I, Danish or Norwegian. I'm butchering this, but um, um, Odegaard, I think. I just saw him recently at an Arsenal. Hagard, the really the the amazing Norwegian guy at Manchester yes. City. Yes. No, 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 not Manchester City. Arsenal, Arsenal. Okay. He used to be. He used to be a junior. He used to uh, be on the bench for Real Madrid. It's like Odengard or something. He's. I think he's the captain oh, of the uh, Arsenal team. Okay. At any rate, at any rate, got essentially did nothing when he was at Real Madrid. Showed up to Arsenal. Absolute superstar. Very, very skilled uh, uh, player. So, w- what is this? What does this all inform us? The the anatomy of a strong performing team is where you have, an in, at the core, an individual contributor, and then around him, a series of facilitators. And their entire job, or a big part of their duties, is to facilitate the performance of the individual contributor. Highly performing teams are not just a deck of very strong performance. It, it doesn't work like that. Instead, you have, at, at the core, one person, and then around him, a set of facilitators. But how does that work on a startup level or on a company level? You have a bunch of very strong individual contributors with strongly non-overlapping functions. And to each other, they can serve as facilitators, right? Let's say you have a very strong programmer and let's say you have someone who's very strong on the business acumen, right? Each of them are pursuing their own verticals, but when needed, they support each other and they play the supporting role very well. Like, when the programmer is 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 asked to do something, he doesn't come in with the mindset of I'm taking over this this duty or I'm taking over this job or whatever, and I'm here to do your job for you. No, no, no. They sit there and they say, okay, how can I facilitate your performance? How can I help you? Even though in their own vertical, they are the superstar. They are the strongest individual contributor. Time and time again, I see that. And it's actually one of the red flags that I typically see on the early stage uh, uh, venture side. When you see... Uh, 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 a sort of murderer's row of co-founders. I'm always suspicious of that because because the dynamics are such that one or two of them are probably going to be doing the main functions that are going to make this company successful, yeah. and the rest yeah. have to be uh, uh, secondary to that. And in no way does that diminish their role. Like saying that you're the guy that that does. The, it's why in 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 soccer we have uh, you know assists as a category. We have midfielders. Their entire job is to do assists. They might never, ever score a goal, right? But their primary function is to do assists. And so by by aiming the spotlight at the people who score the goals or the CEO or the main founder or whatever and undermining the facilitating roles, we actually end up undermining the entire performance of the team. So I, I'm always very keen on asking, okay, I understand from a CEO perspective, a co-founder, you might be you might be suitable for this role, but show me everybody around you and show me how they're going to facilitate the operation of the company. Show me how you're going to lean on them. Show me how they're going to support you. So does that mean you need sort of in a founding team, right? I, I just personally also think that you can't be a solo founder anymore. I think it's just too difficult to navigate and the challenges are 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 pretty extreme right so in a in a founding team or a founding co-founding duo or whatever you want to call it 
that you need complementary skill sets and you need the uh, teams or the duo to accept different roles. With, I mean, so I suppose it's like a marriage in a way. I mean, it's like a wedding, right? You're, you're getting married to somebody <laughs> and you're founding it and the baby is the company that you're launching, right? And I'm always impressed by founding teams that just come together and launch a company and haven't been in a dorm together, haven't been studying together, haven't worked at a previous company together. Um, because I typically, do feel you need, yeah. Typically that, that is because you have one, one co-founder who's very good at one thing and one thing only, and it's okay at everything else. He's okay at, at administration, is okay at accounting, is okay at yeah. uh, investor relations, but is an absolute superb programmer, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. The other co-founder is an absolute su- superb marketing guy, and is okay at everything else. He can code when he needs to. You know, he can he can uh, uh, make progress on the repos, whatever. But he's not the best yeah. at it. And when they come in and decide, I'm I'm really good at this one thing, mediocre at everything else, and I'm only going to focus on this one thing and surround myself by people who are excellent at, at other things that I, I'm okay at. That's when you have uh, symbiosis. So. Not only is it important to, it's very, very difficult, especially early stage, to identify a unique set of skills that someone, you know, you look at someone and say, oh, he's uniquely qualified to do this, only he's able to do this. I just, I found very little correlation that, in fact, if you read about the statistics of venture capital, you'll see this is typically not something that happens. Uh, It's very difficult to identify from the onset who would be an amazing performer that ultimately leads to, um, like, the growth of, of a company. But rather, you, what you will typically find is a team of, of individual contributors, each focused on certain functions and ready to facilitate the functions of others. That, that, that I think, is, 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 yeah, it's the dynamics in that is, is just really important that, that, that comes down and, and it's got to be the same, not only at a startup, it's got to be the same in, you know, in, in any, in a sports team, in a, in in, all teams. you know, in all teams. Right. Yeah. And, and I think ego, the, has to stay out of it. ego has to completely stay out of it. You have to pull that back, right? You have to pull it and you need ego externally facing, but internally facing, you need to be able to collaborate together and, and, and align that. You need to have yeah. some some appreciation of your own talents and to really objectively know what you're very good at. Part of that is the ego, right? If you just if if you cannot accept the fact that you m- might genuinely be the one of the best people on earth to do something, then you might not leverage it very well. But you need conditional on that being true. You still need to be able to say, I can be set. I can also serve a secondary role. When it comes to talking to investors, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to setting up, you know, BD relations, whatever, I will take a secondary role. The other guy on the team, right? This is a partnership. The other guy on the team is going to take care of that sort of enterprise. And I'm going to be secondary and I'm going to help him do that. Yeah, it's um, that that. What what is amazing to me though in sports and we, we talked about football and soccer right and and you look at the coaches in these teams right they have 
a whole the coaches are in a way the 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 the, the conductors of a our our um of a orchestra right even orchestra i'm sure you have the same sort of mo right but you 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 how do you bring and break down the egos into a level playing field and then build harmony within a team to then also be able to share a appreciation and an appetite to go for the win and to risk everything even risk losing and accept the fact that we're going to play to win and have the mindset go all out to win at the risk of even loss right you're going to lose and you have to have in order to win i believe you have to be prepared to lose <laughs> it sounds even ironic better. right no 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 of yeah. course or even better i might individually i might not come out on top i actually might not be you know, I might not be the the person in the headlines. I might not be, I might not end up being the the CEO. Or I might not end up being the person who's the company's remembered for. But I accept yeah. the fact that in doing this, I am now a part of a team, and the benefit of the team supersedes the benefit of the of the or comes before the benefit of the individual. And you said it beautifully. The the analogy with the um, with the maestro. What, what a maestro ultimately does is just provide synchrony, right? It's to allow, yeah. the team, allow the individual performance, each of whom is absolutely the best at this one particular thing, and he just allows them to harmonize by providing synchrony. He doesn't actually come in and tell people, hey, you should be playing this at this moment, or you should be tuning this, or you should be changing that. He's just standing back and saying, okay, we've, we've, we've practiced, we've decided on what we're going to do, now is the time to execute. You in the back, watch for this. You in the front, watch for that. You on the right, you know, watch for this. Which is ultimately the the function of a good executive is providing synchrony, right? Making sure that you don't have any solo. I mean, this is not a solo gig here. You're not here to do a, a, a an individual performance. Here, the the excellence and the success of the performance comes from the success of the team. And their ability to synchronize. This is completely lacking. Let's be honest; it's completely lacking on the, especially on the early stage ventures side, and even on the on the yeah, late stage. Yeah, no, totally, very, totally, very totally. Difficult. And and you don't have that in in a, you know I mean you know you choose advisors, you choose board members, you know, but I, ultimately you need sort of mentors slash coaches in a way to really. I, I, I do feel. That is, 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 is and, 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 you know, to be honest, I've had that in, in, you know, just, I felt that in this round working, I mean, like even with you, I mean, you know, us being able to interact with each other and navigate with so-so being able to interact and, and navigate, right. It's just really having these regular calls and regular updates um, with Renat, you know, having the same, it just has been really helpful in, in just framing some of the, you know, the, the narrative, the direction, the strategies, um, and, and, and ultimately the team building. And then how do you do that as a team, particularly if you're decentralized, it's really hard. You know, it's like you've only got X number of hours a day where everybody overlaps. If you're covering Asia, Europe, and, and, and the U.S., I mean, it's, 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 it's challenging. And 
what I've noticed is one of the things that's really unique and, and just a simple difference is just being online and, and, and having a channel open, right? So you're just in the background um, and there are these tools now where you actually work. So it's like, I'm on the call. I get up, you know, Omar, hey, what am I, I'm, you know, how are you doing? Good, good, good. Five minutes. Okay, what are you going to do in the next hour? And we go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get this done. I want to do this and these 15 things. I'm going to get that done. That's what I'm going to get done in the next hour. Okay, I tell you, I'm going to do, I'm going to work on the slide deck and, and I'll work for the next hour. Hope to get it finished by the next hour. And then we just keep the channels open. We're silent, but we're there, you know, with each other. And so we're holding each other accountable in a way. Exactly. And I've told you exactly. what I'm going to do. We're chatting with each other. And then at the end of the hour, how'd you do? Did you get it done? Oh man, I couldn't get these three things done. And, but I did this other thing and I got distracted with some telegram chat. It's like asshole was pinging me all the time. It's his fault. You know? <laughs> no, but again, that's where as a, but, as a, as a member of the supporting team, that's where you come yeah. in. You're not only providing accountability, you're saying, okay, what were the barriers? We agreed yeah. that you were going to, let's, let's, you know, dismiss the one hour example. Let's say, we, you know, on a weekly basis yeah. or something, what yeah. were the barriers? What, you know, we agreed to do this very specific thing that the objective was clear and defined. And we agreed on the call that there was in principle, nothing stopping you from doing this. And yet you didn't, you weren't able to do it, which is completely fine. But now let's identify what were the barriers and how I can remove these barriers. Imagine you come back and you tell me, well, I was almost done, but I was one slide needed a, needed a, a particular simulation and I had to dust off my old Python uh, uh, textbook and figure out how to write this piece of code. I would come in and say, FYI, I'm an expert Python programmer. What will take you a day to do, will take me 20 minutes to do. What is it that you need me to do? And I come in and, and bang, I write up the script and it does whatever you need. And then now I facilitated you actually completing the objective. That is what a supporting function looks like. And it's not, hey, actually, you're, right. do this thing. This... you're not a performer. Yeah, like I'm, I'm going to try and find somebody yeah, else. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and you, you don't have, I mean, you think about these athletes, right? And, and in a way, you know, you have, as an athlete, I mean, okay, you know, in, in an established business or established team or established company, you have additional resources or maybe greater resources uh, available, right? But at either way, you've got to play the game to win, right? And you need a level of masseuse, masseurs, massage therapists. You need mental therapists. You need... Uh, analysts, team analysts, right? You need all of these things you need to combine into the supporting crew of the real performers, right? Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, ultimately they become, I mean, the, you, you know, the, there's the, the team. Athletes, yeah. The athletes are not experts on recovery. They're not experts on nutrition. No. They're, they have to be told what to do and they have to do it. Yeah. And they have yeah. to come in and say, I'm willing to just listen to you because you, that's, that's your role. Yeah, in a way, yeah, 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 yeah. A very good example of this is in Formula One. In Formula yeah. One, the pit is full of yeah. like, like 20 engineers. Oh, yeah, that's with, true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the diagnostics. And yeah. they're, I yeah. mean, the driver's obviously out there doing his thing, but they're constantly giving him feedback. Hey, you need to do this. Yeah. Hey, you need to do that. Hey, you're running low on this. Hey, you need to, like, it's very clear. And he's not, you know, Lewis Hamilton is not just, oh, FYI, I'm just going to go out and wing it. Right, and put you know, pedals the metal and try and figure this thing out. He relies heavily on the sporting team in order to have, you know, super performance. And I, I actually look for that structure. I look for the Formula One, uh, like team structure, where a there's a structure of accountability. B there's no ego involved. 
and see yeah. there is a mechanism or a series of mechanisms for detailed feedback. Right. Oh, dude. It, it's so hard with no ego involved. I mean, you look at some of these entrepreneurs that are out there. I mean, you know, they have yeah, because egos. It's up almost the wazoo, antithetical, right? right? You have to have oh, yeah, that totally. sort of crazy ego yeah. in order to say, yeah. I'm going to quit my high paying job and, and, you know, whatever. And I'm going to go on this endeavor. You all almost need to be like border. I call it borderline delusional. Yeah. Right. And but it's a the, balance, right? You need to be yeah. borderline delusional. Yet at the same time, you need to have some sort of, I do believe you need a certain anchoring, level of humility. Right? You need, yeah, yeah anchoring. or anchoring. Maybe anchoring is the right word. Because at some point, you need to take advice in. You need to be humble. I did a mistake. I did fuck up, right? I mean, I did. This was, and you're going to do mistakes. Because you have to make a lot of decisions, in my view. And, and you just constantly need to move forward. If you stand still, that's the worst thing. Because you're not making a decision. How do you continuously move forward? And you make decisions every single day at that point in time with the best set of information that you have right then, not exactly. afterwards, not before, exactly. right then. And you exactly. make that decision and you move forward. And just, and, but if indecision is the death of every, every startup, right? And you need to be humility and you need to face the pudding and the powder that it's like, I fucked up there. You know, we lost money there. You know, we messed up and okay, you know, I, I've tried to fix it this way. What advice do you have? How, you know, and then you say, oh, maybe you could try this and do that and, and go down that direction. And it's like, oh, man, but you didn't have the calories no, and the food. You've you got to eat this food and this is going to give you the power and the, the, the juice and we'll go, man. Exactly. I'll tell you, uh, <laughs> that, again, it's, it's uh, interesting you, you latched onto that one. I have this hypothesis. So, yeah. again, uh, all of my biases are towards early stage venture because that's sort of what I do. But you have this team superstars, uh, uh, great backgrounds, used to success. Um, and the, what is the first thing they do? The first major milestone in early stage venture is typically after like they've put something together, they typically go out and raise money. Okay. And in the process yeah, of raising yeah. money, you're literally telling people, entrust me with your capital. I am so perfect. Yeah, yeah, sure. We are the best thing that's ever happened since sliced bread. Yeah. We're just absolutely amazing. But what's the problem with that? I mean, that will probably get you if you do it right and you have, you know, right uh, business uh, um, acumen and you have a right you know, product and, and, and model and all that, that will get you to raise money. But what's the problem with that? It sets you up for the first, the second you get a hurdle, that picture is shattered. It's entirely shattered, right? I went there and I told the best investors in the world, the most stored investors in the world, I'm the best <laughs> at doing this, the best at doing that. And then day one of operations, as soon as the money hits the bank, you run into a small hurdle and you're like, fuck, right? That entire image that I've, I mean, I've essentially believed this at some point. I've said it enough times. I've been on 72 investor calls in the last eight weeks. And I've said this so many times, I've almost started to believe it. So my role as a, as a supporting investor, as, as part of the true. supporting That's team, yeah. I come in after we execute and after the money is wired, I pick up the phone and say, hey, we, we are in the business of fucking up. We're in the business of making mistakes. Okay. Now, let's make sure that these mistakes are not catastrophic. But guaranteed, by the end of the day, you've already performed, you know, X amount of mistakes. Yeah. But I am here to make sure these mistakes are not fatal. It is, yeah. it is not a question of whether you're going to make mistakes. You will absolutely make mistakes, and some of them will be embarrassing. Yeah. But, I'm not, but I, I am I, here to make sure they're not fatal. Fatal mistake. Exactly. Yeah. Once you have that mentality, then it's okay. It's okay to go out and experiment. It's okay to say, okay, maybe we change the product a little bit. Oh, but I see this a lot, actually. Um, um, this apprehension 
of changing. I mean, at early stage venture, there's nothing, right? This is a dream in a yeah. deck at this point. There's there's no product. There, there's no revenues. There's not even a team. It's, a, it's typically like one or two founders. That's it, right? So yeah. the propensity, you should have no, uh, you should have no problem with changing the direction of the enterprise because there is no enterprise, right? You should be very flexible at this point. It's okay yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. That's true. That's, that's true. yeah, it's okay that the that the product that you're working on now is slightly different, or maybe maybe even significantly different than what you pitched to me. That's okay. That's where the the feedback process comes in. Maybe you come and say, "Hey, listen, this is what we thought we were going to do." Now that we're building it, we figured out this part is going to be way too expensive. And if we actually offload it to a third party, then this sort of kills our margins and this might not be useful. Then we say, okay, let's go back to the drawing table. Let's figure this out. First of all, is your current analysis, is it correct? Many a times it's actually not. Many times you just dismiss something and it turns out there are workarounds or it comes up, or again, as a role, as my role as a supporting team member or an extension of the team, really, obviously I'm not a part of the team. I'm as, a, as an investor, you're not. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I can say... Well, hold on. Here's something I can facilitate. You know, I've I've invested in you, but I've also invested in ten other uh, uh, fantastic, yeah. fantastically productive teams. They may be willing to help, or maybe I know other investors. Maybe yeah. I know what uh, yeah. other service providers that I've worked with for a long time, and they're willing to take a bet on you, whatever. Right. So there are ways around this. That's the first thing. And the second is that there should be no apprehension whatsoever. But again, underlying all of this is that they, there's typically a lack, not just of openness, but of quantitative feedback. Right, telling people not only is this not the right trajectory, here's what we need to change. It has to be very specific. It has to be clear and defined. It can't just be, oh, we're not doing well. We have to figure this out. That's not helpful. What is helpful is to say, okay, what are the hurdles? What are the problems? And we write them down very specific, like almost mathematically to the extent that we have to like write them into a computer program. And how do we fix them? And you'll find, first of all, by identifying the problems, I have this like rule of thumb, by identifying quantitative what the problems are half of them already are gone you realize that half of them are not yeah. true problems okay so that's that's the first yeah thing. that's true that's true yeah that's the true. other 50 yeah, yeah, percent yeah, yeah. a true. good a, a good amount of them will probably resolve themselves in, in some capacity okay either by growing the team or realizing that oh these people have these additional capacities to do whatever either by changing the offering slightly so You'll realize, you know, in total, in aggregate, probably like eighty percent of the problems that you thought were problems turn, turned out not like to be completely unbased to begin with. And the other twenty percent is where the money is made. And if you make a real effort, and if you're astute, then that's where the margins are, and that's where the money is made. But of course, there's going to be problems. You're in the business of problem solving. Yeah, surely exactly. that's why we're here, right? <laughs> that's why we're here, right? I mean, you, it's yeah. like we'll always have challenges. I mean, that's yeah, why you, we 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 thrive on this, right? Yeah, but there's this idea that okay, I. And again, it comes from a lack of experience, and it goes back to what we talked about initially, this idea of just putting in the hours. An experienced yeah. and seasoned entre entrepreneur, and there's a reason why the median age is like 42, right? They've seen this before. They've seen that, okay, when I go and I raise money and I start day one after the, the cash comes to the bank, it's not going to go according to plan. In fact, I should, yeah. I should assume that it's not going to go according to plan. And I should be very flexible, and it should not affect – by the way, the performance of the company is not tied to – uh, uh, the, the view of myself is not tied to who yeah. I, you know, when I look in the mirror, I don't see a CEO of a company. I see a person who has attributes, who has history, who has thoughts that's unrelated to the company. You, you never want to get into this death spiral. Oh, this venture failed. Ergo, I'm, I'm a failure. I'm undeserving of uh, future prospects, whatever. That is completely irrelevant. And, and this typically just comes from experience. I, there's no, I don't think you can teach this vicariously. I had to go through this you had to go through this many more times than I did. 
And it's just a matter of putting in the hours and being reflective about the process and about the outcomes of the process and realizing that it, in many ways it's removed from who you are, right? There's, there's this great element of randomness that rules the majority of what happens anyway. So you have to be, when you understand, so we're gonna, uh, another couple of books to put in here, uh, Danny Kahneman's, um, one of his more recent books, Noise, uh, who you wrote with Cass Sunstein from, from Harvard and the other one, the very famous one, Fooled by Randomness by Nassim Taleb. They talk yeah. about the same thing. They talk about the same thing. This idea that um, if you accept that uh, noise and uh, uh, random trajectories are a big part of loss and, and, and gain or success and failure, then you're, A, you're more forgiving in the case of failure, but you're also more tempered in the case of optimism or in the case of something that's going well. When you know somebody does exceedingly well at, at something, you, you don't necessarily immediately attribute that to, to prowess or to skill, but instead they had some skill, but probably were right, right place at the wrong time. And the reason why that's important is you don't go out and hire this person, this person who, you know, who rolled uh, the dice 10 times, uh, you know, for snake eyes 10 times in a row, you don't go hire him <laughs> as an expert dice roller, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or the guy that flipped it, you know, a hundred times uh, uh, on its head, a coin a hundred times on its head. You don't go hire him as an expert coin flipper, right? In fact, it turns out if you uh, if you reason about it, this person is no more skilled than anybody else at flipping coins. Just than anybody else, right? There's no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just I mean, have to have enough people in the room. There. So be careful yeah, yeah. of attributing uh, a skill to that, even though it's entirely uh, explained by uh, like statistical reasoning. But then also, if somebody consistently fails at something, let's say in this case, if you if you roll ten if you roll ten snake eyes in a row, that's actually a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. That causes you failure. Make sure that you're not attributing lack of skill. Right? <laughs> so, but there's also an element of of forcing luck or or or, or uh, pushing upon luck. I mean, I don't know how to quantify that, but in a way, or or measure that, or they yeah, or, or find the attributes. Nassim yeah. talks about this in Full by Remnants, ex- exposing yourself or maximizing optionality or convexity, this idea that comes from um, derivatives uh, trading, particularly options. But this idea that you can, you want to expose yourself that in the case that Lady Luck knocks on your door, you are well capitalized and well positioned to benefit from that, right? As opposed to saying, well, everything everything is up to luck anyway, or everything is random anyway. So, what's the point of trying? You say, no, no, no. I, I, can't, yeah, I cannot predict. This is a um, Howard Marks famously he he would repeat this. It was a chapter in his book, um, uh, the most important thing, which is an excellent book. Um, he says uh, 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 we cannot predict, but we can prepare. So, when in constructing a portfolio, make sure that you're not deciding what the outcomes are going to be a priori and just saying, I'm going to have this exposure because that's a very good way of going bust. You say, well, I don't know what the future is going to bring, but I can think about it probabilistically and I can design a portfolio that's able to able to weather probabilistically the future that's going to come. That is how you expose yourself to, to lady luck. That's how you sort of, you're prepared for her visit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I, I'm going to read that book. I mean, I'm just intrigued by the, you know, all, all of these learnings, right? But the other thing is, was interesting to me as an entrepreneur and, and, and you know, and, and even as an investor, right? I mean, when you're investing, you're allocating 
resource. I mean, to me, it was really funny today. I had lunch with with a a fund manager, family office manager, right? Just a, a really good buddy of mine. I got him into crypto, and and he had all his money in FTX, so lost everything. <laughs> it's like, but I got him so I got him into Matic when Matic was like five cents, right? And it went all the way to one dollar thirty, and so. I mean, he was, you know, he, he buys me, you know, every anything I want, you know. So it's like, good, but but it's funny, you know. He's now gotten out of crypto. It's like, oh, I lost everything. I'm never going back to crypto. Crypto's dead. You know, it's going to die. It's like, and, and so now he goes into venture capital business. And he started off by he managed to get access and participate in a A16Z fund, right? And so, oh, it's like, and and everything as an A16 as an LP, yeah, and. Everything he, you know, it's it's amazing. And this is across all LPs, by the way. This is consistently every story I hear. It's like, they're all like, oh, I've got, I've got, I've got money in in, in Twitter. I put money into Twitter. Oh, I put money into this one. I put money into, you know, Stripe. I've got money in, you know, it's like, but actually, no, you don't. You know, it's like, you've got money in A16Z and A16Z has the money into those different underlying portfolios, which to me is amazing how they feel they own, you know, they did, the, they decided the asset allocation into Stripe, right? But what am I getting to this with the story, right? I mean, that's number one, the feeling that they have, a, they actually did the actual decision to invest into those specific companies. But more importantly, when you do the investment into a, a opportunity, you're largely backing the, the founder of that specific company. And you have been given the responsibility by the LPs to allocate the resources, right? So you're an allocator of resources and the resource there is money, right? But you are deemed as being efficient about that and you are making the right bets in that allocation. And same is if you're an entrepreneur and you've invested and passed on funds to that entrepreneur, you are betting on that entrepreneur to be and to do the same thing good exactly exactly exactly. the same thing exactly same thing right i'm giving you a million bucks how are you investing that a million bucks i want to see that you you know what's your decision making process how are you going about doing that and i'm going to entrust you to be the right allocation of you know you're going to allocate these resources accordingly to the best of your judgment and and capability and you know i'd love to be a coach along that journey right in a way right or that I'm particularly suited at identifying a very small slice of success yeah. in venture capital, and then yeah. you are very talented in executing. Presumably, the, yeah. the reason why your 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 friend gave A16Z his capital is because he entrusts them and their prowess yeah. and their prudence in yeah. deciding what deals to do and deciding how much to allocate. That's literally what you're saying by giving them capital. Else, you would have done it yourself. Yeah. I'm assuming exactly. they're not doing this for free; exactly. they take fees. So you're literally saying, exactly. even after they take the fees. They are such good performers that I trust them with that decision making. <laughs> exactly, and it's the same when I, when I invest in entrepreneur. If I, uh, you know, uh, there's no fees involved necessarily in this particular transaction, but the risk is very, very high, right? You're you're engage, you're taking direct exposure into the company. This is not some sort of index. You're and the, you know, with you know, foregoing market risk and systematic risk. There's the enormous idiosyncratic risk that you're willing to take on. So. Again, it's it's the same it's the same sort of pattern. Realizing what you're good at, and that's a very small vertical, allocating towards that, and then leaving everything yep. else to other people. To other people, exactly. I mean, it's it's, it's yeah, it's it's. 
you know, in a way you have to, right? Otherwise you're just going to go, you're going to go crazy. You're going to burn out. You can't cover, you know, that's, I mean, look, coming back to the soccer analogy, you can't cover the whole field. You know, you're up against no, 11 not. players. You have 10 other co-players, team members. You have to share the, the field with each other and move that ball around really smart so that you're saving your energy to when it really matters. And what really strikes me is you look at like a, a Messi or even an Mbappe, you know, these kind of guys, what amazes me is they have a killer instinct that they can switch on instantaneously, right? They, they don't, they're not, you know, they're, they're, oh, I need time to run up and get warm. It's like, I get the ball now and I score it right away, right? I got to move right away. And I, I just need it for that one second over 90 minutes and bang, I perform. And that performance is what I paid for. That's what they're there for. And that's why they make the big I mean, that's, you, have you read that interesting statistic specifically about about uh, Lionel Messi? Have you read that statistic about he's he's one of the least active players in terms of just yeah. like in terms of just like walking around movement? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He just like moseys around. Yeah, exactly. most of the time he's not running around. He's not going back to the midfield. He's not trying to defend. He's just like knocking about like it's nobody's business. Yeah. And when it when it when it's opportune, when the time comes for him to perform the one thing that he's very good at, he does it to perfection. To perfection, right? It's Everything like, else is outsourced. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's to me, in- an amazing... Including mobility. <laughs> <laughs> he literally doesn't... It, I mean, there are videos of him. You can look at compilations. I mean, for the I most know, part, I the guy's just wa- literally walking around. Walking. Strolling the park, like Hyde Park. And he looks... He looks like he's bored, you know. It's like, oh fuck, I gotta walk that way again, you know. Like, and then he gets the ball, and bang, golden, right? It's just like a, a whole firecracker has just gone off on him, right? And it's just of course, amazing. presumably, of course, he's not bored. It's, it's sort of the opposite. He's no, so no. focused. Obviously, he's so yeah. focused, simulating yeah. which would be the best opportunity to go. What you know? How should yeah. I do this? How should I do that? And then when it comes time, he executes, and he executes on, on that one thing. The 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 sort of frantic uh, 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 player mentality is terrible for long term success. Yeah. Like, I have to run around. I have to go back yeah. to the midfield, get the ball. Try. I mean, that's quick, not go, how you yeah, perform. Quick, quick, quick. Exactly. Same as the frantic Same as the frantic CEO, the one that wants to get on calls with the investors, the one that wants to be looking at the code, the one that wants to be you know working with the marketing team. The frantic investor. It's the it's the person that is busy and never gets anything done. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes it, it, you know time to let it flow and let it let it let it um, I don't know what the right word is just let it let it simmer right or let it marinate I think that's the right word it's right? really um, you becoming yeah. more I think the situation is exactly the same like <coughs> time marches on regardless of your perception of it but you are becoming more comfortable you're more you're becoming comfortable but the ball is passing you it's it's coming over you it's coming behind you and you're comfortable saying i'm not i'm not going to take this move right now i'm going to stay i'm going to wait that's not that's not the best way to execute right i'm going to focus on this one thing let the others do their job let the others like perform don't hover don't be frantic that is what it looks like to work as a team yeah, I know. It, it, really, it really, but it also takes courage. I mean, to your, you know, to just to come back. You you need to have. You need to be brave enough to just let go and 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 and, and trust, right? And trust in in they're going to take care of that. You know, I'm going to rely on you to do that. And and 
And then, but you come back at some point, okay, how come that's not done? We're not aligned. And, and then how do you then mold that alignness so that I have surrounded Messi with the right kind of people that are going to be maybe a bit more energized and high, more mobility to compensate for the lack of mobility on his side, for example, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what, you know, what that is because I'm not a soccer coach, but in, in a team, you sort of need that. No, it's, it's midfielders um, that, that – it's very simple. It's midfielders that know how yeah. to find him. Their job is to make is – is to find him open spaces and put the ball exactly where that is. In the same way, yeah. you, you set up your team members for success. Yeah. And then for me, it, it, it's really also, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's finding the team members, it's finding the partners, it's, it's product managers, you know, um, that, yeah, it's, it's like, what are those roles that you need? It's not a defender, it's not an attacker, it's not a midfielder, it's the center forward. It's, it, everybody has their sort of role that suits them best in, you know, in a, in a, and sometimes they, you know, people may come in and change the roles. Well, again, ideally that, that, is the purview of the manager. The manager is sitting yeah, exactly. on the sideline and has yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's assembled the team in this way yeah. to facilitate the, uh, the performance of the team. He doesn't care about who scores yeah. the goals. He doesn't care about who's doing the assists. He cares about the performance of the team. In many ways, that's why I think I think uh, sports is, again, very fascinating because you can simulate not just life, but business in many ways. Yeah, definitely. It, it, definitely. it involves you know very clear financial transactions, very clear financial payoffs, <sighs> You can literally, you know, three times or two times a week, you can see the performance, right? Obviously, there's some statistical component to it, but you can, you know, I can start making changes. I can see the performance of the team going up, going down. I can see cohesiveness. I can see chemistry. I can see all of this stuff. I think the, the, the only thing I would say that as the teams get bigger in business, that in contrast to sports, you, you're, you're, you're limited with the same amount of resources, right? It doesn't change. Whereas in a business, it, it, it constantly evolves. And I think in real life, uh, unlike in sports or, or, mili- or in, under, war, under s- situations of stress, you really see the true colors of the individuals on a specific team. And that's the brilliance, I think, of a startup compared to a larger company where you got sort of, I don't want to say nine to five type role, but you're under the stress in a startup, right? I mean, you're really, um, you're, you're close together. You're going through, you're working 20, you know, from, from 6 a.m. to midnight or 3 a.m. You're coding through all night long, side by side, you know, on this specific problem. You're working on the weekends. Uh, you're sacrificing this and that. And in some cases, you're even living together when you're not only traveling, but you're living together in a startup, right? I mean, you're sharing the same apartment the same bedrooms you know i don't know not same bedrooms but maybe different bedrooms but you go to bed same room i don't know yeah so it's like all these different aspects well with that everyone thank you sir thanks for tuning in see you next week good weekend